Case file number 5.09. Securing elections. Observed by Agent Crenshaw. Agent Crenshaw. Still working on this Gibson thing. No, Chief. You, you gotta give me more time. Have you even listened to the recordings? It's like an encyclopedia of this hacker stuff. One of them just keeps going on and on about everything that ever went wrong on the internet. No. He, nobody knows this kind of crap. He's obviously up to no good. Yeah, the one called Hackalope. No. How is it not illegal? The information is dangerous. Oh, and, and the other one. The other one. Y Ymir. No, he's always going on about everything the CIA and FBI did wrong. All the wiretap stuff, all the crazy projects. How does he know? We already know he's infiltrated NASA, and I am this close to catching him skipping leg day. Now just ask yourself, Chief, what would J. Edgar Hoover do? Come, Chief, all I need is more time. Sooner or later they're going to slip up and I will catch them. Hacking the Gibson. Uh, the accounting subdirector of the Gibson's working really hard. I think we got a hacker. Hey, Mayor. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I need you to play along with me for a second. <laughs> so if I say the words election security mm -hmm. and anonymous hacking and a government cover-up, what country do you think I'm talking about? Oh, um, I mean, I would say the U.S. Now, this time, that's not what we're talking about. Mm, okay. We're talking about the Philippines in 2016. Interesting. Okay. There's a lot of stuff on election security. We're going to try and focus more or less on the actual casting of votes and counting of votes rather than a lot of the intelligence reporting that happened in the U.S. about the use of propaganda and the leaking of various electioneering data, whether it was election rolls or campaign data, all that stuff, it's been reported and it's right. interesting in and of itself from an InfoSec point of view. There's a lot of parallels into social engineering, but right, yeah. we're going to try and concentrate on the casting of ballots and the whole like machinery of the actual election. Okay. I say this and I feel like I'm going to be bumping up against the line on this story, but I think it's an important one, especially since it's a non-US <laughs> story. Mm -hmm. So, in 2016, March 27th, the COMELEC website, and COMELEC is the Commission for Elections in the Philippines, was defaced. Okay. COMELEC had a press release saying, yeah, they hacked the website, but it wasn't super secure. Mm -hmm. We know that. And the group that did it, which claimed to be Anonymous Philippines, mm -hmm. was saying, you really need to fix your stuff. Right, right. But Kamalek was saying, yeah, they hacked our website, but the elections, it's the election system itself is on a completely separate ne network, and we do much more security with that. No need to worry. Mm, okay. And it's like that's not unreasonable. Anonymous and other organizations have periodically over time defaced things like the CIA's website. Mm -hmm, and right, right. that's a very relevant explanation for the CIA. Yeah, you might have got our website, but nothing important to what we do for business is going on there. Yeah, yeah, like they don't have any, the goods are in a public face. Yeah. Here's the thing. <laughs> oh, no. So the election system is one thing. Mm -hmm. 
And this is kind of where we violate our attempt at a rule. <laughs> a lot of the election voter information mm-hmm. isn't necessarily within the magic circle of just the election system. Mm, okay. So possibly a related group, uh, exactly how the interaction of, of these things and how the use of the names uh, worked didn't really come out in the investigations that I saw. Mm-hmm. But Lelsec Filipinas says, oh, you don't think we got anything important? Oh, no. And dropped a 330 meg database. Mm-hmm. Or, sorry, 330 gig database. My mistake. Um, mm-hmm. That by its format, uh, the name of the file was comweb.sql.qz. So qzipped text file right. of what looks like a SQL dump. So this was probably done. We can suppose it was done through a SQL injection mechanism. Mm -hmm. Right, right. It's a website. It's a SQL file. I'm I'm not taking you on a long journey here. (laughs) (laughs) So they had it up on a few different mirrors, proving that they had the goods. And Mm -hmm. those goods included a lot of plain text, passport information of Filipinos abroad that that were voting. Mm, a lot okay. of biometric information, mm. all of the standard PII name, address, phone number, identification kind of number information for a lot of Filipinos. Over fifty, I think it was over fifty million of them. Does this website have uh, sign up capabilities? Like, is this a place where um, residents would go sign up for elections, or they just have in the house the stuff? I don't know. They didn't. None of the articles I talked about went into detail about how that website actually operated. But we do know that standard best practice, even in 2016, was for a lot of this PII stuff, especially like the important identifier numbers, to be tokenized at the very least. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So it's not plain text in the database, even if you have a database leakage. So when we're talking about like doing things right, Mm-hmm. And we know that it can be done, right? We know that Facebook and Google and Amazon do a pretty good job at this. Like right, right, you'd right. expect for what they have, mm-hmm. the data that they have, that if it couldn't be done, it would we, we would hear about it a lot more often. Yeah, yeah, exactly. That the data was stored in a place that maybe it shouldn't have been in terms of limitations of what credentials had the, had access to, whether credentials mm-hmm. or the database itself. Did the website need access to all of this stuff? Was there a way of creating some middleware gap between the two of them? Did some of the uh, the website permissions, were they too permissive? Mm-hmm. Sure. I'm sure you've set up LAMP applications where Linux, Apache, MySQL, Perl, PHP, Python, mm-hmm. whatever you want to call it, <laughs> whichever generation you're in, where you just made a, you made a user ID that had either full administrative access or at least full data access, both mm-hmm. read and write to the data. Mm-hmm. For larger applications, you can restrict those things. You can yeah. create a system that actually doesn't allow roles to have full access. Well, they didn't do that, and they had the data available, and it looked like it dumped out. And some of the big problematic analysis of this is that this isn't just a potential election problem. Right. But there's a lot of identity theft stuff all Yeah. So, I mean, this is a case where relatively recently there was a major data leakage by an official government 
sorts. In fact, from a from a pure number of records standpoint, this <clears throat> is even bigger than the OPM hack mm. that happened in the US. Right, right. I mean, this is some of the stakes, even if it's not the US, even if it even if uh changing the Filipino election isn't gonna change the world, mm -hmm. it has a lot of effect on a lot of real people. Right. Yeah. I also think that there's a lesson here in terms of government response and the honesty of government response. Because six years later, this year, some hackers reported that they had hacked Kamalek again. Damn, okay. And Kamalek says that some of the claims that they made about having all of the electronic key information, all the credential information for their machines, the hackers claim that that was leaked and Kamalek is saying, it's not possible because we haven't even generated that information yet. Interesting. Okay. That's plausible, mm -hmm. but it would be easier to believe them if they played straight with us six years ago. Yeah. Yeah. That is very true. <laughs> Fully once sort of scenario. Right. And again, previously in this case, they said something that was plausible mm -hmm. and was even factually to the letter true. Right. 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 So I want to tell the story of that failure there's actually a fair number of things to talk about in terms of electoral failures mm -hmm. but i wanted to give something that this this is the, the the next one we're going to talk about is brazil which is the session that you and i were at together at defcon yeah yeah i remember being very impressed by how they set up their system did you have any any specific thoughts about it was pretty interesting how they um yeah they like they broke it apart they had all these rules um you know, and how they were to engage in uh, trying to like tamper with the stuff and then like, you know, like break it down and like, you know, have people generate the report, show them what's going on. It, it was very impressive. Yeah. Well, so, in, so like you did the episode on Pwn to Own. Mm -hmm. Do you think the structure that they had was maybe accounted for a few things that Pwn to Own didn't, that they might've, you know, made a positive iteration on it? Uh, what do you mean? Well, you know, let's talk a little bit about the structure of it before I get there. So Brazil decided to adopt an electronic voting system mm -hmm. in around 2014, 2015. And they passed a law, Resolution 234444. And that was mm -hmm. the law that they put in place that governed the red teaming of their voting system. The thing that I thought was was cool was that unlike pwn to own where it was like you had to do it there mm -hmm. coming in with basically nothing they were like you can come in with stuff but you have to tell us exactly what you need there will be no internet connection mm -hmm. and i thought that, that was a better structure mm -hmm. than hey try anything you want but you only have this window and it's going to be a race to the, and and it's a race it's a chase yeah that was really interesting that you could bring your own stuff just give them a list and i liked uh you know that like they had the upfront systems that you could actually try to attack and then in the back you could go to those systems and they had the source code and everything for you to like look and uh you know get a glimpse and then come back to your stuff yeah i thought they had a really good structure for it so part of what lets them do the structure for this is i think a unique thing about the brazilian system their election system is homegrown what makes them unusual in a lot of ways is they didn't go and contract out somebody's system like Diebold or sequoia or whatever Okay. Or uh, I guess, it didn't, is it Dominion? The one that uh, get, keeps getting criticized? Oh, uh, yeah, the Dominion, um, yeah. They're still resolving the lawsuits, but I haven't seen any factual evidence that that anything claimed was true uh, uh, against against their integrity. So, uh, But 
in any case, all of that source code is proprietary. Mm-hmm. Every system is different. And in particular in the US, in the statewide system, there's no way of standardizing on one election system because every state is budgeted and administered and maintained separately. Right. Yeah. And so I think that their red teaming mechanism, A, because the government owns the code and contracts out for the their devices, mm-hmm. uh, like under very specific specifications, that this iterative red team system is going to, over time, be generally better in creating code quality. Yes. Because yeah. they'll learn a lesson once and it'll inherit down. Now, mm-hmm. they need to incorporate the lessons learned and they need to make sure that they're keeping up with the technology. One of the, one of the things that comes up that ended up in the 2019 trial had to do with basically using older software to do some of the operations right? Yeah. Uh, in the system. So keeping up with the software, keep that continuous development is actually very important. And that is a place that they could fall down by creating a sole source, a sole government source mechanism that doesn't have kind of that competitive, you have to stay up to date problem. Mm-hmm, right. But they can learn lessons once and incorporate it throughout. Whereas the more fragmented industry system seems to have been weaker at that based on the things that we've seen at the DEF CON voting village, <laughs> um, yeah, yeah. where even just having secured consoles running commercial embedded operating systems has continually led to problems mm-hmm. on all kinds of different consoles. So like we were saying earlier, you have to declare everything you're bringing in and they will grab it for you and provide it for you. Right, right. There is no internet connection. And so you have to propose, this is what we're going to do to try to attack it. They create a sandbox environment that is built to their specs mm-hmm. to attack it. So there's no cross-infection possibility. They they thought of that. They want to make sure that anything you accomplished in doing, they are able to replicate and understand so that they can address the mm-hmm. issues. Yeah, exactly. And so like this is all really good design. Mm-hmm. Everything we've learned about bug bounty, bug chasing is all incorporated here. Right. And the guys that did the presentation, they were three Brazilian. All three of them worked in government in some place. This is not an official government thing. It's just the way that they they knew each other was they were all <laughs> in various places in the Brazilian government, um, right, yeah. in either the Bureau of Investigation or IT auditing, that kind of stuff. Yep. So they were government employees. They just weren't government employees when they were doing this. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. Uh, another, actually, another thing with their system that they never attempted to attack is that there is a biometric val- validation in it. There's a fingerprint validation in it. Mm, okay. Which is a thing that none of the U.S. systems I have any experience with even try and do. No, no. So the 2015 model that they brought out had a USB port. Mm-hmm. And after that trial, they totally got rid of that one. What was the, the rationale for even having a USB port? Was that just to easily like oh. pull off the uh, results? Yes. It was mm. part of the, the base design. Um, And you reminded me of a part that I that I just skipped over. The electronic voting system goes back a little further than, than 2015. The mm-hmm. law was in 2015. But one of the reasons that it was very important for Brazil to do this was corruption and ineffectiveness of government systems was a real problem in Brazil. Mm-hmm. 
I don't know that I would say that it, there or really anywhere that's a completely solved problem, right, yeah. but it was a real integrity problem for them. Mm, okay. And this was one of the ways that they were trying to deal with that. Mm, okay. This was not something that came out in the talk. This is like my side reading to kind of frame this stuff and understand mm-hmm. what was going on there. Okay. Yeah, that makes sense. So in their 2012 attempt, uh, they focused on trying to get in the way of the tabulation transport, mm-hmm. which used thumb drives. So they had separate devices for the data and the key material, but it was sneaker netted using thumb drives. Okay. And uh, they did that until 2019 because, or uh, they might still do it for some places because there are some places in Brazil that are quite remote and they mm, don't have right. good and reliable connectivity, which is mm. a problem that they have to solve there that we don't have to solve and Europe, Europe doesn't need to solve and Canada doesn't need to solve. Well, right, yeah. maybe Canada needs to solve that one <laughs> in some cases. But part of what makes some of this difficult is that they have logistical hurdles that the fully industrialized heavy transportation network, heavy information network kind of development hasn't completely penetrated all of Brazil. Brazil is a big country. A lot of it has rainforest. Mm-hmm. Yep. So that created that potential vulnerability. And they made a connection to the home office via Linux VPN. Mm, okay. And that VPN ser- that VPN service, you know, I don't have my so one of the difficulties here is I only have my notes to go by because I mm-hmm. because uh, I couldn't I haven't found the video of it posted yet to defcon server mm-hmm. right, right, right. and i couldn't find any other documentation <laughs> on it so i apologize if my notes on my tablet during defcon weren't like all mm. the technical detail but they had a linux vpn server i vaguely rem- i don't think it was a pf sense i, I forget what mm-hmm. particular software they were using but they were able to get shell on the vpn server right 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 and get into the tabulation results. So if I recall correctly, they would take the USBs out of some of the, those remote devices, get them to an election office, each of those offices VPN to the central office for, mm-hmm. tra- for tabulation. And yep. they were able to get into the VPN server, which is a big thing. Right, right, right. So they reworked their VPN system. They did some rekeying. This was maybe a preventable problem but the fact was that they had a red team system that uncovered it before the election right and then they attacked the usb board in 2015 that was less interesting so the next one we'll actually talk about was in 2017 where there was a linux bootloader error and Mm -hmm. by creating a replacement master boot record they could boot a vm and create a memory dump of the voting machine yes yeah i remember that yeah and from that memory dump, they were able to extract the private key info. Mm-hmm. Yep. Another group found the private key information, but they were able to compromise the device by creating a bootloader error. Even though they had secured the bootloader, they hadn't done it perfectly and created a, an avenue for an intercepted master boot record. Mm-hmm. This is, I believe, related to the UFI problems that have been co- cropping up recently. Right. Um, UEFI. So that's not a perfect system either. The thing that I found pretty interesting, well, so for that, actually, one of the things that they want to do is one of those technological advancements. In the Certificate Authority episode, we talked a lot about high security modules. Mm -hmm. Um, 
for keeping key information. Yeah. Well, on the private end, and I think we talked about it a little there, you have like smart cards mm -hmm. for keeping your private key information not on the system. Right, right. Well, smart card in a lot of ways is just a portable version of what's called a trusted platform module, which yep. all of our phones have, most of our computers at this point have, all mm -hmm. of our smartphones, I should say, have. And they can be used to keep that private key information. And one of the follow-ups that the government identified in their final report was that they should move to a trusted platform module piece of security so that the private key information isn't even in the memory, even if somebody could execute the same attack again. Mm, right. Yeah. And that's one of those things where if they don't incorporate the new technologies, if they kind of rest on their laurels, they get mm -hmm. a system that's reasonably secure, then they're going to be behind the eight ball the next time somebody is doing um, any kind of memory invasion kind of thing. Yeah, yeah exactly. With that private key stuff. The technology exists. It would be an easy mistake for them to make. I'm not saying that they will. I'm not saying that they're that that they're on course to, but mm -hmm. this would be the kind of thing to be cautious when you're soul sourcing this stuff to, you know, forget that you can use new hardware that's available in order to solve that problem. Yeah, yeah, exactly. And then the 2019 trial, my notes are a little short on this because I wasn't sure exactly where the Windows box is in the system, but the volumes that they're using, the Windows volumes that they were using were encrypted using TrueCrypt. Mm -hmm. And TrueCrypt basically hasn't been under development for a good chunk of time. Yeah, right. And part of the reason for that is for a lot of the use cases of TrueCrypt, not all of them, especially the obfuscation kind of features, the Windows encrypted file system does a quite good job of just encrypting the data at rest. Mm -hmm. uh, and that was actually one of their findings is that, hey, you guys use TrueCrypt, a piece of legacy software, the encrypted file system is probably the right solution to your problem. Right, yeah. So one thing that we can see here is that there is... Their process for keeping all of the possible components updated to using the best technology available mm -hmm. has seen flaws. Right, yeah. But the fact that they have everything together, that they're keep working on iterating on the same system, I think is great. I think the fact that they're that they have a real red team thing where they do real aggressive testing and have a complete understanding of the attacks that are being performed is really yeah. good. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So there's a lot of reason to be confident in the system from the provable security point of view, not the these are real attacks that happen, but here are the theoretical attacks that could happen point of view. Yeah, yeah. Like you're not taking their word on it. Like you've actively seen that we put our money where our mouth is and have them actually try to attack it. And that's the real tough part about this for me, because in 2020, in their parliament congress in Brazil, Somebody's been maintaining, trying to get paper ballots. There are paper replacement ballots. You, you can always request a paper ballot. It's not right. very different from getting a Maryland ballot here, but they wanted a paper receipt for every ballot counted. Mm, okay. And they wanted to put that in law in 2020. And in mm. 2022, Balasaro, the president, has been throwing a lot of aspersions, trying to create a lot of doubt about the election system in Brazil. Mm -hmm. And right. It's tough for me. Um, one of the things, I should have pulled it up, but there was a University of, uh, I think it was University of San Diego study that was done 
more than a decade ago at this point, but mm. they were looking at the number of votes in a paper ballot system that are discarded because of administrative problems. Right. That ranged from about one and a quarter percent to about two and a half percent of ballots mm-hmm. that were discarded because they couldn't be counted. Right. Um, one of my problems is that on the theoretical basis that the electronic voting has a lot going for it versus a paper balloting system, both in terms of speed and reliability. Mm-hmm. And like there are real attacks against these systems, obviously. The even a system where touting is doing a pretty good job has hits against it right another one that i want to cover in another episode is estonia which also has its critics even though they do a lot of things that i think are really good ideas around electronic voting so nothing's perfect and i'm not saying that 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 it is but Mm -hmm. i think that there is an idea that paper balloting is better even though it's provably had a vote loss rate that's a lot higher than people think, and sometimes more than you than the difference in elections. Yeah, yeah. No, I remember um, just the mail-in uh, voting in this past election. You know, there's a lot of talk of like, make sure when you fill it in, like fill in the entire circle, don't go over the lines. You know, yada yada yada, because there's so many little like if it's not dark enough, if it's too dark, if it's slightly over the lines, all these things, the scanner's not going to pick it up. It's going to be ejected. Yeah, and it's worse when it's handwritten. Mm-hmm. Or, you know, punched out dangling chads and all of that. Oh, yeah. yeah. My, um, my handwriting's complete trash. Like, <laughs> yeah. immediately throw well, it out the garbage. A lot of ballots, it's it's punched stuff. Mm-hmm. And we're talking about, even under the best circumstances, there was, in the Bush-Gore election, there was a lot of dispute about <laughs> the ballot format, the so-called butterfly ballot, which admittedly mm-hmm. isn't the easiest thing to read. Yeah. So, like, even throwing away any issues like that, where things are poorly implemented, you still have a loss rate. I think higher than any than anybody would think. If you said how many out of ten thousand to kind of anchor it, yeah, yeah, nobody yeah. would be like one hundred and twenty-five to two hundred and fifty. Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> anyway, so that was the first, my first pass at election stuff. There's just so much to cover here. I wanted to do like three or four examples, and I was like, you know what? This is a big subject. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, yeah, yeah. There's a lot. Find out about new episodes at r slash hacking the Gibson on Reddit and support the podcast by contributing at the Wikimedia Foundation or Electronic Frontier Foundation.